0: Thank you, Greg. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, this is a new Wednesday night series, actually I should say midweek series through uh, the months of June and July as we'll be going through 1 Timothy. Uh, Sunday morning, the sermon series is called This is the Life, and uh, this Sunday we'll be looking at worry from Matthew chapter 6, and... The Wednesday series is called This is the Church, and it's out of 1 Timothy, as we'll be looking at Paul's letter uh, to Timothy and through Timothy to the church. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 2, I'm going to just go ahead and get started. Before I do that, though, I do want to remind you that, as Greg said, June looks very much like it does every other month. July has so much different things going on. Uh, camps and fellowships and different things. Uh, we're actually going to do our adult study during the day at 11:30, 11:30 in the student center. So we're going to give that a shot and see how it goes. Uh, if after the first week no one shows up, then we'll have to figure something out, right? But uh, we're going to give that a shot just for the month of July before back in action regularly scheduled in August. But for the rest of June, we will be here on Wednesday evenings study through 1 uh, Timothy. First Timothy chapter one, verses one and two, if you'll read with me. this letter is from Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. just to stop there for just a moment. Uh, that word hope just resonates uh, as I read it and have read it and heard it this week uh, Hope is is usually it's not like we usually use it. It's not what, like we um, usually think it is. If someone says to you, uh, you know, well, I hope that they'll be there when you show up. Well, that's not based on anything. It's just a, a wish, right? Wishful thinking. But our hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who is living, uh, the living God, who, who makes promises and is able to keep them. In chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, I'm writing this letter to Timothy, my true son in the faith, and may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Let me just pray for us once again. Lord, we, uh, we, just, we look to you, Father, to, to make all of this plain in our heart and mind. I just ask in the name of Jesus that your spirit would guide us into all truth. There are many here tonight, Lord, with many different needs. Concerns and cares and uh, Lord I pray that this speaks very plain uh, to one or many God I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and minds and time tonight we ask that in Jesus name amen first Timothy is a pastoral epistle that is $5 wording for a a letter written to Christian leaders is a pastoral epistle and this simply means again it's written to a Christian minister we'll talk about who that Christian minister is and what his role is. And and the author of this letter is the Apostle Paul, and the Christian leader to whom he writes is Timothy. 21 of 27 New Testament books are letters. They are written by someone who is writing a message of purpose to a recipient. And what's interesting about this is, if you find this interesting, I guess, is that one would not think that letters would be an authoritative document. That, that in our holy book of scripture, in the New Testament, that the majority of the books are actual letters. And, and these letters that the Lord has ordained as holy scripture, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The letters written from Paul, James, Peter, John, and Jude, they are official as God's revelation. So when you are reading, you are reading in the format of a letter but it is doctrine it is holy bible scripture for the church and these letters it makes sense because they were written during a time when christianity had just really started and it was beginning and it was spreading and because it was spreading and spreading so quickly there was a need to communicate doctrine across the way and down the road and across cultures even, to Christian leaders so that unity would be maintained, which is why God put it together just like this. And not just letters written by whoever, but letters written by credible and personal leaders, the apostles and the apostle Paul who had been in the presence of Jesus. First Timothy is a a letter from one Christian leader to another Christian leader who was overseeing Christian leaders. So as Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy was sort of a supervisor of other house churches. He is overseeing other bodies of of believers meeting in homes. And, And Timothy, again, was a supervisor of sorts. He was appointing pastors, overseers of doctrine. They were practicing this in the context of the local church, which were usually house churches, but they were surrounded by and even infiltrated by false teachers. So if you have false teaching in brand new churches, you can see the importance and the need for having Holy Spirit-inspired church togetherness and unity underneath the words of God. And so this need for communication, again, as the gospel is spreading, house churches are growing And Timothy is often referred to as the understudy of the Apostle Paul, the the mentee of the Apostle Paul. Now, when Paul introduces himself in chapter 1, verse 1, he identifies himself as an apostle, but then he establishes his relationship with the recipient. Notice this, he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by the command of our God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. This is very formal. It's like somebody telling you what their title is when they are addressing you. And then he says, I'm writing this letter to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So you've got a formal address, and then you have a personal address because ministry is not business. Let me say that one more time. For those of you that lead, that serve in Christian ministry, Christian ministry is not business. You may have a title and good for that. But the personal relationships is where it's at. In fact, our lead staff comes out of a retreat. One of the biggest takeaways that we had is that ministry works best in the context of relationships. So while Greg was making fun of me for being late, I was out there making personal relationships. Shall I hear me? <laughs> No, it's, truly, truly, it, ministry works best in the context of relationships. It takes time and serving together and fellowshipping with one another to learn the needs of each other, the backgrounds and what everybody's going through. And so this is Paul telling you that he has spent personal time with the Lord and the Lord has seen fit to make him an official representative of his glory, but that personally, He has not taken Timothy on as a project that he has put through an academy or business school. It is taking on someone personally as he calls him his son in the faith. In verse 2, he calls him his true son in the faith. Elsewhere, he calls him, 1 Corinthians 4 17, his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. It's a very intimate type of relationship. And he became, through the influence and the intention of Paul, a a trusted colleague who he would grow up in the faith, and then he would tell Timothy, you go here, I'm going there, we're working on all of this together. And with that kind of language, you, you can quickly deduce that this is a very personal but very missional letter. And before, though, this is very important, before there was the leadership of Paul in Timothy's life, there was the leadership of his mother and his grandmother. Now, what we're looking at right now is how a Christian leader became a Christian leader. How did this man who is a supervisor of house churches, that is appointing elders for churches of the living God, and overseeing the communication of that doctrine, and refuting what is not sound doctrine, how did that, young man become a grown man as a leader in the church of the living God. Yes, Paul was his mentor. Paul called him his son in the faith, but before that, it was his mama and his grandmama that established faith in his steps. Second Timothy mentions Lois, his grandmother, Eunice, his mother, saying it was The faith that first filled them, that continues strong in you, in the home setting, in the teaching of the scripture, the representation of the scripture, the scripture written on the walls and hand-stitched into the couch pillows. It, It was the culture of Christianity that was lived out before this young man. Now, I don't know why the father wasn't in the picture. I don't know why the grandfather wasn't in the picture, and and some would suggest that the father had passed away, and so did the grandfather, but the genuine faith of the mother and the grandmother stood in the gap, and I would even say led the way towards a foundation of a godly heritage, so that when Paul came along, he was ready to take another step towards Christian ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 attests to the fact that he had been taught the holy scriptures since childhood. Man, what an encouragement and a challenge to every parent, every grandparent, every guardian, uh, every teacher, every leader of of youth. And as Greg prayed for our uh, student ministry tonight, for our children's ministry tonight and creative ways. They are communicating the love of Christ and the word of God, and God uses all of that as he continues to call people to the ministry. He continues to call all of us to the ministry, by the way, and he continues to call some to, to lead in specific ways in the church. Paul was likely a visitor in Timothy's home. You wonder how Paul gets to the home of Timothy and how he serves in Timothy's home and how they get to know one another. Some suggest that Paul was recovering there after a persecution beating, that he had been stoned and he recovered in the house of Timothy's mama and grandmama. And 2 Timothy says that Timothy knew what Paul taught and knew what he lived, and he knew what Paul's purpose in life was. 2 Timothy says that Timothy knew Paul's faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, and suffering. To know all of that about someone is a ton of time together. It is a ton of time observing, of studying, of talking. There's a lot of observation there, and this all brings us to the mind tonight of the idea of Christian mentoring, coaching, discipleship, yes, uh, whatever words you want to give it, this is the idea that one leads another in Christianity. If you are here tonight, it's very possible that you are here because someone has led you here from years past, meaning you have seen in someone else's life the results of the study of scripture. You have seen someone that you care about and that cares about you, has communicated to you over time why it's important that you be in front of the word of God whenever you get the opportunity. It's also very possible that you're here tonight because you didn't have that person and you want one. You want to have the full experience of Christianity. You want people in your life that are leading the way and lighting it up so that you can follow in their feet as they follow Jesus. I can tell you the honest truth that my life is better because of people that I considered better believers than me. That's pretty honest language. And I I want you to understand what I mean by that. And I think we all do in our heart. There's people in our circles that when we measure our faith up against theirs, we go, I want to be like that when I grow up. Are you with me? I've seen and known people like that all of my life, and I'm super thankful for them because there have been those people all of my life who I have viewed as having a closer walk with the Lord, a higher standard lived. And when I think about ideal Christianity, they were the closest to that, and I thought, I want to be around them more. And I'm so thankful that I am. That is family members, church family members. Some people were not in our local church, but I knew that they were following Jesus out of a local church. And so I revered them for that and remembered them for that. Some were people who just spoke into my life in a very close relationship. And others were those that I simply watched from a distance. I actually never had a conversation with them, but their faith glowed in their life. And Timothy had at least three of these that we know of. Mother, grandmother, and the Apostle Paul. One of the Apostle Paul's greatest aims in life was to be that for someone else. To be a shining example for others to follow who believed in salvation and who believed in the lordship of Jesus. In fact, when you read Philippians 3.17 where Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. Now, that is a high calling, everybody. And and big words, by the way, for anyone to say, oh, you want to know how to follow Jesus? Just come on and follow me. That's big words. That's bold statement. And one of the reasons that Paul made this statement is is because the next verse he says, because there are those that are telling you they're following Jesus, but they're not. We are. You go the way that we're going and follow our example. Jesus and, and listen to this in Philippians 3:17, when the scripture says, "Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example." The word "example," I've learned can mean seal or stamp. So from those who follow our stamp, from our seal. What is a seal? What is a stamp? It's something that makes an impression, right? Well, Jesus is the original impression. So when Paul says, learn from those who follow our example, learn from those who follow our impression, he is telling them, learn from those who follow us as we follow Jesus. Paul lives before others in the reality of the truth and the difference that Jesus has made in his life between who he used to be and who he is now. I read the following today, that good mentors, if if we would aspire to be a Christian mentor, or, or maybe we are in some circumstances, or maybe we are just because we are in a Christian home with people looking up at us, good mentors never settle for the imitation of themselves. Ultimately, they must be trusted to provide a living picture of Christ. For a practical point here, one of the most, just my opinion, I guess, one of the most difficult things to initiate for someone is a mentoring relationship. Now, I've had that happen in ministry many times where somebody sits down and goes, would you please put me with somebody that can help me, that can show me the way who can I talk to that I can meet with regularly that would say, this is how you do it or this is what you need to do? And in my ministry experience, the, the request of someone who can guide or steer, while it is a familiar one, it's not easy to pair people together because you have to pair people together with personalities. You have to pair people together with schedules. I can meet every morning at five. The first person you call says, I can't meet till 7 p.m. So then you begin to look and you're thinking about how can we put people's strengths and weaknesses together, the strength of the mentor, the need of the disciple. So if you would say tonight, I want to take a reverse approach to that. And you think, I'm one of those folks that I need people in my life to show me how to live. I need people in my life. I need to follow their feet as they follow Jesus, the seal and the stamp. Let's look at it this way. If that's you, you start. Instead of asking the minister or asking somebody to line that up, the first, folk, the first people you need to ask or the first, the first person that you need to ask is the Lord himself. Ask God to order your steps. Ask the Lord to put somebody in your life to put people in your way, in your path, or to point those folks out that are following Jesus that you can follow. So seek the Lord because you can find him and ask and seek and knock and ask the Lord, who is it that I should be looking at? The second thing I would say is seek to be around that person. You seek. Seek to be around them and build relationships with people that you look up to. Meaning, what does that look like? Ask them if they'll get coffee with you. I don't drink coffee. I don't even know why I keep saying that. I know most people, you do. I know John, Dax, and I talk about this today. We're going to have to go get the coffee with a, a missionary partner. And I'm like, I'll be the little child that gets a Coke while y'all drink man coffee. But ask them, say, hey, if you got a few minutes, let's go get lunch. Do you, mind, do you mind if I sit down and ask you a few questions? And, and instead of waiting on somebody else to set that up, Seek that out. And most Christians I know that are following the Lord will definitely be taking time with you and they'll be glad that you asked. But seek that out and ask them if they got a few minutes to sit down, to answer some questions. Who who do you know whose story is familiar with yours? Uh, maybe take the initiative to again to to ask them to lunch. and, And maybe you don't have to ask them to lunch. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm gonna give you a phone call. We don't have to meet very long, but I got a few questions on my heart that I need somebody to help me walk through as far as the answers go. So if, if you're sort of waiting for something to just show up in your lap or there to be like this love connection, remember that show where you're paired with the perfect person? Open your eyes. Who is following Jesus? Go ask them where they'll be and just show up. Now, don't go in their living room and knock on the door right? But be around where they are. Be around where they are and what they do and follow their feet as they walk and they follow Jesus. And observe how they act, how they react, how they carry themselves. There's still one of the, I I remember this to this day, and and this guy can't even remember his name. Uh, I, I remember, and there's some people in my life that have poured into me over and over and over again. And there's some people that made a difference in my life in passing. I remember I was an intern for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was a summer camp, and before the summer camp started, we were all at this camp location, and we were playing basketball with this group of guys, and we were all running up and down together, and it was like the FCA crew and this group of guys that we didn't know. And so while we're there, the, the camp director is playing with us. And as basketball goes, it starts getting a little chippy. Nobody's talking to each other, but all of a sudden it's a little more physical than it was at the beginning. Because while we are there for Christianity, we're also trying to win. And the church said, Amen. All right, so as we are, as we're playing, one of these kids comes down, this kid's come come down and he throws an elbow and it hits the director in the head. And I'm like, oh Lord, like we're all gonna be thrown out of FCA before we are able to serve here. And I'll never forget it. He has the ball in his hands and his face is red, and he goes, we breeze like that, and he goes your ball, and he runs back down the floor, while the rest of us are about twenty years old, and we're being like, "That's it." As he's older than us, he's showing us how to respond in the spirit and not in the flesh. And for whatever reason, I have not that has not left me all these years. Twenty years later, it's not left me that I've seen your response in the spirit and not in the flesh. Look and open your eyes, and the rest of us need to know that people are looking. And they have their eyes open, amen. Now, as we make our way past that introduction, really, which is Paul's leadership over Timothy, it then gets into the meat and I'll just tell you tonight we're going to get through verses three through verses 11. Uh, verses 12 through 20 we hope to cover next week as I believe there's six chapters of Timothy. there's seven weeks, I think we have until the end of the summer and um and so we're going to cover first the first chapter in two weeks. Let's read together verses 3 through 11. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. It's like a mission statement. But some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things, and they spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, and even though they speak so confidently... And we know that the law is good when it's used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Paul and Timothy were were close, but if you notice there at the beginning, the decision for Timothy to stay in Ephesus while Paul went to Macedonia was one that placed faith over feeling. There was a need elsewhere. Paul left. He had trained up Timothy to stay there and to work, and there was work to be done in Ephesus. And so he was there to do just that. The work was entrusted to him. And the work to be done in Ephesus, if I can put it in short speak, was that he was to supervise those churches by guarding the culture. That also is a real responsibility of a Christian leader is to guard the culture of those that you are leading there's not enough to say exactly what the culture looked like specifically and what the false teaching was specifically, but the division was relative to this. The division that Timothy was working within in Ephesus was relative to a false focus on what if instead of what is. What could be and what might be and what if there is instead of what is. The the church was being influenced by false teachers who were not about things main and plain. They were about an assumed deeper knowledge of God that may or may not be known by you. I don't really was the way it is. We know what it is. Not sure if you can get there or not. And this is the false teaching that he's working within. False teachers would say, some of this can be known by some of us and to others but not by the masses at large. And some of this, again, who, who are on a, a, you, you are on a lower level of spirituality if you can't get to this higher level of knowledge. And Paul is like, again, we're going we're gonna to look at this in a couple different times, but he says in chapter 1, verse 4, this does not help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers be filled with love that comes from pure heart, clear conscience, and a genuine faith. That's what you need to know. That's what Paul's saying. So all of these folks that are like, you've got to know that, but you've got to know this deeper level. Okay. This knowledge was manufactured. It was manufactured by man. It was based off interpretations of Old Testament figures that that could not be proven. It was wrapped up in myth. Myth is things that are speculated but not proven true. And all of this make those that were telling it seem real smart and real sharp. It's like fishing in a swimming pool. If you go and fish in the river, in the lake, you know that there is something there that can be caught. But to fish in a swimming pool, you're either a liar or you're putting on like you know something deeper than everyone else. Like, let's go fish in the swimming pool because ancient myths tell us that if you cast the line just at the right time, when the moon is right, there are mysterious bass that, okay. No, there's not. Why? That's not been revealed. That's why there's not. Dig deep, this will be on your screen. If your mind is hardwired to go deeper, let me just give you this. And God, thank the Lord for those whose minds are geared and hardwired to go deeper. But dig where there is stuff. Dig deep into what is revealed. Cast your line where there are fish. If you have that gifted mind to where you enjoy that to where you want to go deeper, that's just fine. And God has made you that way. He's made you that way, though, to dig deep within what he has revealed. Don't try to conjure up truth where Scripture is silent. That's what leads people into what? Meaningless discussions. You start talking about what's not there, what could be there, what others have said, because meaningless discussions focus on what? They focus on what if, not what is. And that doesn't help your neighbor. What does that mean? Sometimes we wanna sit around and have these deep dive, meaningless discussions, and our neighbor needs you, Christian, to be their friend. Are you hearing me? We wanna have all these deep Bible studies, and we don't even know what's there. We just want the pastor or teacher to wow us with what could be there that we don't know what is. But your neighbor needs your testimony. They don't need your commentary. Are you hearing me? Yes, there are minds like yours that are out there that need an apologetics response. They need for your deep dive to be in the defense of the Holy Word of God. Not in the questions of what if, but the truth of what is. And so out of this <coughs> comes the focus of spiritual pedigrees as someone to be known. Their desire is not service, their desire, those false teachers, was recognition. Take this note down Biblical truth will always raise the Lord and lower the man. Biblical truth will always raise the Lord and lower the man. False teaching will raise the man and lower the Lord. Biblical teaching is about the Lord. False teaching is about the teacher. And the teacher is not the Savior. That kind of teaching misses the point and it doesn't help anyone. If I am to give you conclusions that I have reached outside of the doctrine of scripture, then you can point to me as being smarter than God. That's not what this whole thing is about. So just a few that, well, last Sunday, I attended a deacon ordination in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, around 1 o'clock. I attended that ordination for a friend of mine that I've known since high school. And, and during the service, The pastor, before they actually got into the ordination service, he said, "Uh, As just a a point of order, I just want to recognize all the pastors that are here with us today. Of course, I'm thinking, No, you don't have to do this, man. Because I know the pastor, he's a good friend of mine as well. So there he goes. First of all, uh, I would like to welcome Andy John King, the pastor of Round Island. That's what he said. Now, I was at Round Island some years ago as a student pastor. But for whatever reason, he said, I'd like to welcome Andy John King, the pastor of Round Island. And let me tell you, right after that, that place went crazy. One person stood up and said, are you serious? You don't know that he's the pastor of Lindsay Lane? Now you should know at this point, I'm totally kidding. No one stood up and said anything. You know why? No one cared. Where's he at? Okay no one cared. And I say that to you because no one cared because no one was there for that. Right? I mean, there was no dishonor meant by the pastor. The day was not about me or any other visiting pastor. And the whole service was meant to honor God who saved this man and raised him up to serve God. So the whole spiritual pedigree thing, he talked about like the Lord teaches you lessons and humility through that too. That's, that's not where I, nah, you don't care, right? He even went as far as to correct himself. He came up later in the service, blessing, great friend, godly man. He came up later in the service, he goes, hey, as one who wants to get words right, I just wanted to let you know, I said round Island meant Lindsay Lane. And of course, everybody was like, whatever, dude. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the spiritual pedigree is like, I don't know. I mean, I was led to the Lord by, by who, by who just serve the Lord. Amen. Paul was not trying to claim a knowledge so deep that it couldn't be attained. His teaching was known and his teaching was upfront He was trying to say up front, this is what you need to know. This is the truth that's helpful and that you need to hang on to. In fact, the whole point, again, is there in the last half of verse 4 and the entirety of verse 5 where he says, help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose, telling you up front, of my instruction, meaning that you can grasp, is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith to love from a heart that is captured by the Lord, to live without shame and regret. That's the instruction for you to receive. And to truly believe that God in Christ is the reason that we are all here and that the reason we exist and he is the way that we are redeemed. That teaching is enough. It is morally effective and it is theologically efficient. It is going back to the gospel, amen? And Timothy was charged by Paul to teach that truth according to the revealed truth of Jesus and the scripture and inspiration that points to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you tonight, do you know the Bible enough to know the difference between sound doctrine and false teaching? Do you know the Bible enough and do your friends and family know the Bible enough to know the difference between sound doctrine and false teaching. And, and God bless you, because part of that, you'd say, well, I'm here tonight. Absolutely right. And, and I would encourage us all to think about those uh, that are not just here, not here tonight. But, but I would ask you this too. Are you in a group? And, and are those that you've invited to be here, are they in a group? And why would you say that? Preacher, why would you tell us to keep getting in a group, getting in a group? In a group is where you circle up and go from the, from the pews to the rows, or I'm sorry, from the rows to the circles, and you begin to sit around the word of God and discuss it and ask questions. And I would encourage you to be the bold person in your class and in your group that when you don't understand, you go, hey, I've got a question. Uh, what does that mean? Why is that there? And, and I would um, I would liken small group Bible studies to the golf course. When you go to the golf course, you think that every everybody there is a wonderful golfer. They're all awesome. They look great, and they're better than you. And then when you get out there, you go, "I'm okay," <laughs> right? Except for some of you. But I mean, like you. You, you get out there and, and you realize that everybody's dressed up, but nobody's really good. So I might as well humble myself and go on and act like I don't know what I'm doing because I don't. So when you sit in a group, you are there and the leader is there to take your questions as they are teaching the word of God. And you are able then to ask questions about what is false teaching? What was the false teaching? who is Paul? What is an apostle? What is the gospel? Like ask those questions. Guarantee you, there may be two or three people in that group be like, you don't know what that is. Seven out of 10 are going to be like, I'm so glad that you asked. So that's where it goes. Get in a group, seek God in his word on your own. That's the first thing I should have told you that before you get in a group, read the word of God. And when you read the Word of God, trust that the Spirit of God is going to make it plain if you open your heart to the Lord. Read it, read it again, and ask good questions. You can supplement your seeking with resources. Can I tell you this? We've had people in the last month, It happens all the time, and it's great questions. I had a guy that said, hey, I've got something I'm going to send you online. I don't know if it's good or not. Brand new Christian, just been baptized, started reading the Word. He's like, but I know there's a bunch of stuff out there on Google So I'm just going to send you this, and you tell me what you think. I opened it up, and I was like, absolutely. That is a resource that I use during the week to study sermons. I believe it's trusted. Man, I say go for it because that's a good place. If you think to yourself, like, I need to know those kinds of things, well, all of our pastoral staff, not just our pastoral staff, a lot of our staff would be ready and willing to take your questions. We also have a discipleship pastor. Go ahead, Josh, raise your hand up right there. There's Josh right there in the back, reluctantly raising his hand. Josh at lindsaylane.org. He would be glad to take your questions and say, can you direct me towards three commentaries? Can you, can you send me towards three podcasts? What, what about a, a study Bible? What study Bible should I use? Your your leaders are here to help you with that. And yes, it will help you to ask the right questions and steer you in the right direction. And I would even tell you to read with an approach. Uh, Does anybody know what the two questions we always ask are from the pulpit when studying the Bible? What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about man? You can get started there with the Holy Spirit and be fine. All right? And then past that, you can ask questions. There are also other uh, supplemental approaches to studying scripture. You've got the SPEC method, which is, is there a sin to avoid, a promise to keep, an example to follow, or a command to obey? Ask those when you read the scripture. There's the SOAP method. The SOAP method would tell you, read the scripture, make observations. Now, make observations meaning what? What do I see? What does it mean? What is repeated? What is around the text? What is the context? How does this apply? That's the A and P is committed to prayer. Do you know the Bible enough to know the difference between sound doctrine and false teaching? What is the answer to not knowing enough? Know enough. Y'all, we live in a time where resources are literally at the swipe of a finger, many of them. All right? All right, verses 8 through 11. Verse 8, we know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. The false teaching of Ephesus was not just leading towards self, and it was not just filled with mythological discussions that led to nowhere. It was also legalistic. The teachers wanted to be known as teachers of what? The law of Moses. Now, many of you come from a different background, similar backgrounds maybe. Some of you may come from a very legalistic background. And you deal with that inside your heart of saved by grace through faith. But I got to do some other stuff too, right? Well, if you look in, in the scripture, that the church of the New Testament was faced with that all the time. Faced with continued false teaching from the old systems. And so they would mix in a little bit of falsehood with truth and it would dilute the truth. And Scripture says that false teachers would reject things that God had made acceptable, marriage and food, and they would say, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you want to be saved and say saved, then you got to, right? And they wanted to impose uh, circumcisions and other ceremonial rituals towards salvation. This is why Paul asked the church at Galatia, he said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, After starting your new lives in the spirit that is free to you from sin, that is guiding you towards the truth, he says, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You have been forgiven. You have been made righteous before God through Christ, yet you still are trying to become righteous past what Jesus has done through good works and legalistic rituals. Grace is what? Grace is God's unmerited favor. So if you have received God's grace through faith, why are you trying to receive favor on merit that is unmerited? Paul makes this point. The law, the law of God, the law of Moses in particular, the law is good, when it's used correctly. Basically to say, don't use the law to condemn those who have been forgiven of sin and freed from the law that held them to that sin. I'll tell you this, I've been saved by God's grace through faith. And when I read the Old Testament and the law of God, it does not condemn me. In fact, it helps me it's good for me to see the holy standard of God that was gifted to the people of God that reveals our sin and our need for a solution, and I know that solution. Now I've trusted in Jesus for that. So the, the law, is, when it's used correctly, means it's not needed, it's, it's not in play to condemn those who have trusted in the solution for, uh, the solution of the law. The law is, is good to those who recognize that they are capable of breaking the law. The law is good for those who recognize their need for a savior because they cannot keep the law. The law of God points out sin. It gives people knowledge of what sin is. This is good for those who fear the Lord. It's not meant to save. It's meant to show us ourselves. But the law is condemning The law is condemning, number one, to those who believe they are above it. To those who, all of these lists of sins. Now, when there's a list of sins, it's usually not an exhaustive list of sins. It's just exemplative. It's an example list of sins of all the things that could be. And I would encourage you, when you read that list of sins, not to just pick out one that you don't deal with. Because you'll fit in there somewhere. Are you hearing me? And to know what you're saved from and what your neighbor could be saved from. So the law is condemning to those who believe that they are above it. Again, that's described in verses 9 through 10. Lawless, careless. That defines the, the practices, the rhythms of their life. No reverence for God. They have concluded themselves what is right and wrong. The law is also condemning, secondly, to those who believe that they are a shining example of its purpose. If you want to look at a perfect picture of the law, we have achieved it. Nah, not believing that or buying that for a minute. In fact, the scripture says those who think they are righteous, Jesus didn't come to call those folks because they believe that they're already righteous and nothing else can save them. Those who think they are righteous will never be saved. The law was never meant for self-righteousness. It was meant for self-evaluation. To those, thirdly, who believe they'll have it, to obey it to the letter to be right with God. If you are still in that category where you believe you will have to obey God's law to the letter, that law will condemn you. Jesus, and this is the simple, serious truth that Timothy protected and preached, is what I give to you now is that Jesus fulfilled the perfections of the demands of the law and provided the sacrifice for sin when we break it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He, again, is the sacrifice for sin against the law to make provision for God's grace. Now listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, and we're done. Romans 8, 3 and 4 is on the screen. The Bible says the law of Moses was unable to save us. Church, if, if the law of Moses and adherence to the law of Moses is unable to save you if you rigidly adhere to it, then whatever expectations the church you grew up in, it's not going to be enough either. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Fully satisfied. The just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us in who? In Christ Jesus who no longer follows our sinful nature, but instead follows the Spirit. We are freed by the Spirit of God, and we follow Jesus by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we'll be in 1 Timothy once again in chapter 1. You can read ahead there in verses 12 through 20. And if possible, we'll touch on chapter 2 when we get back here next week. Think over the resources available. Think over the questions we've asked. And truly, uh, we are here to help and to see you through to your next step of discipleship. Let me pray for us tonight, and uh, we'll be on our way. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the resource. Lord, we thank you for specific revelation that is wrapped up in this Bible. And God, I just pray that uh, each one of us here tonight would have a desire for your word tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Lord, that we would humble ourselves to ask questions for where we are in need. God, protect our church from any that would teach false teaching. and Lord, give our leaders great wisdom to continue to study your word and be ready to have an answer when asked. God, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you, O God, that we are not here trying to grind out our life over the law, but that you have fulfilled the perfection of the law and that it requires you fulfilled that through Jesus. So we give you all honor, glory, and praise. And Lord, I pray that as we wake up tomorrow, we would realize that we belong to you. And Father, that we would spiritually strive to represent your impression on us. In Jesus' name, amen.